LMT is a lens by which you assess all economic understanding. The street is full of corruption. It is baked in to every aspect of our society. 1900s, Lenin was predicting global finance capital would do all the things it's doing today. This is written over 100 years ago. Hey, everybody, it's Steve, and this is an off-scheduled uh, rogue scholar. I had so much fun yesterday, I didn't want to screw up and not do it again. So I went ahead and decided, fuck it, I'm going to do this. Because out there on the Twitter sphere, uh, UK economist Richard Murphy has gone after Warren Mosler. And, you know, and what is really deeply depressing, let me just ask, is some of the people who I consider to be good friends who are out there participating in this, like, I don't know, what I consider to be a very bad faith critique of modern monetary theory, or more importantly, Warren Mosler's own words. And one of the big things that Warren talks about is that the tax creates unemployment by design. Like the tax is the obligation that forces you to do something other than what you want to do in order to pay the tax. And before we were all sophisticated and using the internets and the interwebs and all these spreadsheets and whatnot, we were busy doing things very, very manually, very, very abacacy, very, very, you know, tallies and strokes and um, stuff like that. And going way, way back, there was stories about how money came to be and how economies came to be and how states as a rule provision themselves. And this is what Warren Mosler frequent, frequently, if I could speak, frequently calls the money story. Now, Warren has his own unique way of saying this, and I could never do Warren's version justice. But Warren's version was more than enough to teach me and make me understand, and I'm a nobody. And Richard Murphy is a somebody, and he acts like a nobody when it comes to his lack of understanding of what Mosler's actually saying. And there's nothing worse. I'm sure some of y'all been in some shitty marriages where you're falsely accused of saying something where they've taken what you've said and they've made it like so literal, okay, that it's not even, it's like you have no idea how they came to the conclusion they came to. And you're sitting there going, what the fuck are we fighting about? Well, unfortunately, there are a lot of semantics out there that don't understand. And I'm going to say this. This is not going to be today anyway. Well, maybe it will. Well, it depends. Um, probably not going to be a discussion on the difference between the federal government spending money into existence and banks. Private banks creating money, and it's so different. We don't understand the difference because we make up all these things, and we very, very pedantic, very, very, yeah, uh, you know, neo maxi dweeby about this shit. Okay, but let me just say for the so it's not like I just say an incomplete, incoherent sentence. Let me just say this: when the federal government spends money into existence. That is the debt liability of the federal government. It is creating money, and therefore it agrees to take that back as a tax. Okay? So the federal government is only that. You, you can hold that dollar till you die, and it's never going to come due for you. That dollar never has to be returned until you're ready to return it as a tax. Okay? So... The fundamental difference between the government spending money and banks creating loans denominated in the state currency are two very different things. Because I assure you, every month the auto pay takes money out of my account. And when it gets back, it settles reserve balances. Okay. But this right here, this money is very different. I cannot net save a loan because ultimately, whether I save the money that came from the bank and have to use government money to pay the payments, doesn't matter. It, in the end, it's still, it's the same unit of account, different rules. One has to be paid back, one does not. It's fucking simple as shit to understand, but there's some people out there that make this thing like the 
the fucking, I can't make this esoteric enough Olympics that need to feel important, that need to have these strange lines between horizontal money and vertical money and in, uh, exogenous, meaning outside the system, and endogenous, meaning inside the system. They can't understand that MMT says, hey, we get it, but private debt is its own animal. But that private debt is not the same as when the government spends money. It's simply not. But there are people out there that try to conflate the two, and we're going to unconflate them at some point. But today, let me introduce you to my little friend, my little friend here. He is a smiley face. So you know what we're going to do today. This right here is going to be a special day. We're going to talk about the money story. So let's get rid of smiley face. And just so you all know, the money story is very simple. We're going to have a peasant. And by the way, let's, let's, let's make this so you understand what I'm talking about. These guys right here, they worked in their communal system. They, they worked together as a, a community on their serfdom, whatever, you know. And even going back to the times of the Roman Empire, they had people that prayed, people that worked, and people that fought. And that was the class structure until the merchants came in later, okay? But most people were workers, but they didn't get paid in the way that we do. Everything was taken care of within the communal system. All right. So here's the deal. I'm a government. And I'm going to put my hat on so you get the idea. There's your government, okay? The government comes to somebody and says, hey, you know, I'll make a peasant here. Peasant, terrible pictures, but you love my pictures. Just admit it. Make this guy a fat, whatever. Okay. And he says, hey, you, will you come build me a standing army? Will you come build me a roadway? Will you build me an aqueduct? Will you build me a Colosseum? And this person right here has been doing their picking up sticks or whatever it is that they do. And they're like, yeah, I'm not that interested in it. And this guy comes back and says, you know what? There's a reason why you're not interested in it. I got to figure it out. So he goes, how about if I give you some of these coins, these coins right here, in this bag. And this guy over here says, yeah, you know, I don't need those coins. Those coins don't do anything for me. What am I going to do with those coins? Over here is the dude's house. Really snazzy house. We even put a little fire chimney out the door, whatever, maybe even a window. This guy over here says, I tell you what. How about if I say you need 10 gold coins tax to pay for your house, or we're going to take your house from you? This guy right here says, oh, ho, wait a minute, hold on, I need my house. What do I have to do to get 10 gold coins? This guy over here says, ha, 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 let me tell you what you do. You can build me a coliseum. You can build me a road. You can build me this aqueduct, or you can go ahead and lose your house. What, you, what is it going to be? And so he says, I'll give you 40 gold coins for doing this. This guy goes, okay, I'll do it. So this right here, this imposition of the tax, did something very, very, very important. This guy right here was going to do whatever this guy was going to do. He might have been fishing. He might have been just hanging out with his kids, doing potato farming. He might have been, you know, playing some sport that they played on the surf, you know, on the, on the surf zone, uh, whatever. They, they did whatever they were going to do. And this guy right here, the government, told him after a bit of back and forth, 
in the end, I'm going to impose a tax on something that matters to you. And that tax is going to be strong enough that you're going to say, okay, what, what do I need to do to settle this obligation? And you're going to do something to earn that. Now, I'm going to come on screen here. This took me a little bit of time to figure out what this was all about. It took, took me some time to figure this out. I couldn't quite understand it. But the point of the tax is not to fund the government. The guy's trying to build these things with or without these gold coins. He's trying to find a way to motivate Joe Surf, one of the 99% the proletariat. He's trying to convince him to do some work for him. And the only way to do that in the end, to get it, is to have some coercion. And that coercion is the tax. And so you're going to do whatever you can to avoid the tax to take away your house. Prior to this, prior to this, there was no such thing as unemployment. Okay? But now all of a sudden, people needed to do something to get the gold coin. And so everybody did what they had to do to pay their taxes. Now, one of the things that we see today, which is very interesting, and this is sort of the trinity of austerity, if you will, at play, but we understand a couple things. Number one is the government created the obligation. The government, not, not some need, it didn't, didn't need to fund itself. It was creating these gold coins out of its own. It was doing its own thing. It could have made them out of wood chips. It could have made them out of candle wax. It could have made them out of pubic hair, balled up in a ball and handed around. Could have done anything. Whatever the government deemed was its unit of account, okay? In this case, they used these coins. Now, in modern days, a little different than that. We're going to draw some of these now. Let's get back to it. Blank sheet here. So we've got what we call fiscal policy. We've got monetary policy. And over here, we have private debt. These are all a little different, but I want you to understand this is very important. Fiscal policy is when Congress spends money. Monetary policy is very different. Monetary policy is about managing interest rates. And it's about ensuring that we have uh, no, you know, full employment is one of their mandates at the Fed. Full employment. And price stability. And then this is what we take on when fiscal policy dries up. We take on private debt to fill that, to fill that gap. Okay. We take on private debt when they stop spending, all right? So what austerity within this monetary environment is, is the government spends money. The deficit needs to grow. Deficit money, spend massive money into the economy to maintain full employment. However, in monetary policy, they believe something different. In monetary policy, they believe they need to have like at least 5% unemployed. To maintain price stability. So to them, as you're seeing right now, they will go ahead and raise interest rates. Started out at 0% then 2%, then it just keeps on going, 10%, whatever, whatever they decide until they achieve the desired level of unemployment. Because in theory, 
when you make credit more expensive, then people are willing to buy less. And so ultimately, we take on private debt. Well, what happens? You and I, let's say we're approved for $10,000 total. Our ability is $10,000. The government has cut spending. The Fed has raised interest rates. People are getting laid off. You've already spent $9,900. So you've got $100 of credit available to you. That's not enough to do much of anything, okay? So now all of a sudden, you get laid off. This guy right here, his job, his job right here was to ensure, to ensure that there were enough laid off people, enough unemployment to satisfy their fake Naru and their fake Phillips curve and all these other fake models they use to kind of derive what a healthy economy looks like. Okay. But ultimately what happens is this, the federal government cuts spending. The monetary policy raises interest rates. And I'm going to get to that in a second. By raising interest rates, that money goes to the wealthy. And there's some trickle-down sycophants that would say that's a good thing. But the reality is, is that this is a transference to the wealthy, and it's putting downward pressures on labor. Okay, the, the divide is growing. The wealth gap is growing. All this stuff is growing right here. And over here, now, all of a sudden, you still got to pay your taxes. You've still got to pay for your house. You've still got to pay for all that. And so all of a sudden now your house goes into foreclosure and they take away your house. This right here represents what Clara Matei would call the trinity of austerity. Now, you could fuck around with that. You can complain. You can whine. But I just showed you, okay? that ultimately what happens? They play games with the fiscal policy. They cut the spigot off. What do they do over here? They blame, they, they raise interest rates to try and create unemployment. It doesn't mean it creates unemployment. By the way, folks, just so you know, it doesn't mean that it creates unemployment. What it means is that industry takes the signals from the policy increase, from the rate increases and says, oh, we're supposed to lay people off. And if you look out there, you're seeing lots and lots and lots and lots of layoffs. And now you over here, you're out of private credit. You're laid off. What are you willing to do? Well, this is the government saying, hey, we want to make a change. So now all of a sudden they're pushing people out of their old jobs and either finding new things for them to do or trying to generate a recession to create a new reset, if you will, a new kind of norm. And this is what I think you've seen with the inflationary pressures that you've seen right now is they're trying to get us used to that level. And you notice gas prices still haven't come down. You notice a lot of those things, and there's a lot that goes into that. Supply and demand is certainly part of that, but there's an entire theory behind pricing. And if you take marketing and you understand the way that the four P's of marketing go and you understand the way executives price things, you understand that they're looking for those signals as well. So when these guys signal they're raising interest rates, industry says, let's go ahead and lay some folks off. All right. Now, one other thing. When we raise taxes, that is literally money deletion. If you remember yesterday's thing, and I'll bring that out. I think I actually have it right here.
Nope, wrong one. Where to go? Too many papers. Too many papers on the dance floor. All right. Jesus Christ, I got too many papers. Here we go. Got it. When you look at the taxes, okay, when you understand the taxes are draining reserves out and you understand that they're deleted, they don't exist anymore, okay, when you understand that, you understand now that there's less money in circulation. What ends up happening is these are the basis for recessions. And so if you think about this, I'm going to draw this like so. Let's say this is government spending. And let's say hypothetically it goes negative right here. The other side of this is private sector, non-government sector. And it might, you know, it, 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 they, they literally mirror one another, okay? So when the government spends money into the economy, that means that there's more money in the economy for you and I and for businesses to make decisions with. But when there's less money, when they don't have this, the resources to put out, this is what generates layoffs. And this is what generates, quite frankly, it is what generates all the despair. And you could see this in the Bill Clinton economy when he had the surplus. He took too much money out of the economy. And when he took up too much money out of the economy, he created the recession that George W. Bush inherited. So I'm coming back here. All right. So remember, starting off the beginning, the tax was imposed to make the individual do some form of work for the state. Prior to that, there was no unemployment. Okay, that wasn't the way it, the, the world was set up, okay? The imposition of that tax forced someone to say, what can I do to get whatever your unit of account is, your gold, your stick, your, your ball, your rock, whatever, whatever it is that they use, what is it that I need to do to get enough of them to keep my home, okay? And therefore, that created the unemployment. That right there did. Okay. Now, when we're talking with Richard Murphy and he's out there, he's not acknowledging that truism because he's looking at it right here, right now. And he's saying, hey, taxes aren't meant to create unemployment. But in reality, that's the way the government had to make you need its currency. It needed coercion. It needed you unemployed. It needed you to need them to do the job, to get the cash, to get the gold, to get the nugget, to get the stick, to get whatever it is, the credits, the Star Trek credit. It needed you to do something to get it. And that's how governments provision themselves. Without that coercion, governments can't provision themselves. So that's the role of the tax. And interestingly, as a side note, looking at the Confederacy, Confederates, they had a very, very hard and fast ideological bend against taxation, okay? So what happened? They went ahead and they went ahead and fucked up royally because they couldn't enforce a tax. So the South, who probably could have won the war outright at that time, and I'm glad they didn't, but seems like they won it today, right? Seems like they played the long game and won anyway. But back then, because because they couldn't enforce a tax. Their money didn't have the kind of staying power. It's the enforcement of that tax, not your faith in it, by the way, not your faith in the currency. It's the legal demand, the legal claim on that tax that literally drives it. So when you go to pay your taxes to the federal government, what happens? Federal government takes them, they shred them. They don't need them. They're the one that created them. Your money's no good to them. The purpose of it is to keep you out of jail, to keep you in your home, whatever. The purpose of it is to create enough anxiety 
there's got to be enough tension. And this is what I hate about the system, right? Because there are ways that this system could be done differently. But as of right now, and the way we look at the world, we need to understand that there is a coercive element. The primary purpose of the tax is coercion. It is for the government to be able to provision itself and it needs you to need its money. And so why do they have different forms of uh, taxation, right? Well, there's a bunch of different reasons. Number one, one of them is what we call Pagovian tax. A Pagovian tax is a sin tax. So frequently, one of the funny things is, and we can draw this out if it'll make it easier, but I'll just keep it simple smiling. You know, Bernie Sanders used to say, we're going to fund XYZ program with a Wall Street speculation tax. Well, they either A, want Wall Street speculation to keep growing and growing and growing to fund the government that doesn't make its own money. See how stupid this is already? Or they're trying to curtail a behavior. They don't want a ton of Wall Street speculation. They want to diminish it. They want to slow it down. They want to prevent it from just being easy access for day traders. They want to slow it down. And so the idea is, is if you think you're funding something with a Pagovian syntax, you're completely screwed because the intent is to stop or limit the behavior. Okay, it, it, it should be so obvious that taxes do not actually pay for spending. It should jump out and smack you in the face. But taxes do create unemployment. And the higher the tax, frequently the higher the unemployment. And when you look at the idea behind the coercion, you understand that if they can't get you with the tax, to make you do whatever, they'll get you with the interest rate to force you to do different things to, to in, in, in theory, slow down your purchases. But it's really a transfer. That income interest is a transfer of wealth to the wealthy, to people who already have money, okay? So just when you think about taxes, remember that their purpose is coercive in nature doesn't feel good to know that the government has to coerce you to do something, but that's the way a currency stays afloat. That's the way it retains its buying power. That's the way it retains everything, right? That's the point of it all. Now, are there other ways than a tax? Yes. They get you with fines. They get you with fees. They get you with penalties. And all of these things have to be paid in U.S. dollars. Why is that? Why do you think they make it so that you can only pay those things in U.S. dollars? It's because they shred them, they delete them, they purge them, they get rid of reserves within the banking system, okay? They do not use them to fund anything, but they use them as a kind of a dial on the EQ to force certain behaviors. It's really about behavior modification and about quote unquote tuning the economy. It may be used to account for the real costs of something, even though those taxes don't actually pay for it. Think about social security, for example. Social security tax, the FICA tax, that's deleted like I told you yesterday. However, you have that little ticker that says paid, 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 and you get a statement of all the taxes you paid into social security, but know that there is no fat stack of bills sitting there in a vault somewhere. There is no wooden nickels and there's no hay pennies from granny in 1919. None of that stuff is real. It's all new money every single time. Okay. But they use the tax. That's why it's so important to understand that the tax is a tool. It's not a funding operation. It's part of the economic equalizer, the EQ. They move it up. They move it down depending on certain factors. Now, mind you, Let's be crystal clear. The people that are doing it today are either A, economically illiterate, or B, nefarious, and they know that they're doing things to hurt the people, okay? I'm going to go with economic illiterates, but I know that there are many that are nefarious that are out to get the people. So 
let's let's open this up with folks in the comment section. Is there anybody out there that has a question about why money and tax work together and how the tax actually works as opposed to thinking the federal government is starving for your tax dollars because it's drowning in debt, et cetera. Is there any questions out there? Anybody in the comment section that has any questions at all, please leave a comment. We'll answer it the best we can. Um, this does not have to be the longest live stream ever. In fact, I'm going to end it as soon as I see nobody's got questions. But reality is the government uses coercion to provision itself. That's the point of the tax. And unemployment is the result of that tax. And to get the tax to pay for it, you need employment. You need money coming in. That's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. So we'll do a more deep dive on some of this stuff here in the future. Um, but for right now, I hope this was of some use. Oh, it's a humorous has three specific questions. Let's go pour through here. Let's see if we can find them. Um, I don't know if this is it. I am homeless and Obama didn't do it. Trump didn't do it. Biden didn't do it. Fuck austerity did it. The belief in capitalism did it. And it's coming for you. Okay. Um, maybe I'll misunderstanding what he says, but as far as I've always been taught for well over 60 years is that taxes are like a huge garbage can. We didn't have them. The damn crap would be piled ever over. Okay. Um, I just here, I just don't get this, and I wish Steve would explain it to me. Why does everyone think we are in debt to anyone? I don't understand what the debt is, and there is no debt in America. Okay, so here, let's talk about the national debt for a minute, because that's what you're talking about. When the government itself spends money into the economy, it creates a reserve. Remember the reserve from yesterday or whatever. It creates a reserve. It's like a placeholder for interbanking, uh, interbanking transactions to 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 do to handle transactions between banks. But once that reserve is in the system, it starts earning interest because the idea here is to close the loop to 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 keep money moving. Okay. And they pay interest on reserves. They don't need to do that, by the way, but they do pay interest on reserves. And as a result of that, the idea is, is that the government has lent that out to us and then we'll then, we will then pay it back, okay? The idea here is, is that the government is quote unquote borrowing it from the central bank. This is the, the, going, uh, the going rate. This is what, the, the narrative is, okay? But this is one of those things where an MMT would say that the Treasury and the Fed work hand in hand, that they have a consolidated balance sheet and that the government isn't in debt to anyone, that this is its own money, its own unit of account, its own law that it created, okay? And by doing this, it lends it out. And then when it's returned, it is quote unquote settled and it's gone. So it's a temporary thing. That's why they say borrowing, but it's not really borrowing in the sense that you and I would think of it as, okay? But they tally it up. So what is the national debt? It is the sum total of every untaxed dollar in the economy today. That's what it is, okay? It's made up of treasuries. It's made up of um, bonds. It's made of cash. Um, excuse me. It's made up of all sorts of other debt instruments that they sell out there. And reality is, is that if we paid it off, we would kill the money supply. That's, that's the going statement, right? People assume that we're running around borrowing money. We're going to China and we're saying, can we please borrow money? When they are equating China purchasing bonds with their earned dollars. This is what we talked about yesterday. I, I went through this in great detail. Um, the fact is, is that the national debt is nothing more than the sum total of every untaxed dollar in the economy today. Okay. That that's it in a nutshell. All right. So let's see if there's another specific one. If everyone just understood that people are the economy and not money, it would make it so much easier for this man to explain. 
So the real economy is real resources. People are part of that, trees, gas, water, everything. It's real resources that are the economy. The dollars are merely simply placeholders or coupons, right? They're coupons that you can cash in for things that give them whatever value um, they've established for them, okay? Um, so yes, the economy is not money in that sense, but there is a finance, and this is the problem, big finance. We financialized our existence. So in that sense, when you hear people talking about the economy, often they're not talking about Jane and Joe down the street who are living on the street suffering. They're not talking about families not making their bills. They're not talking about people going without. They're talking about investor-grade assholes that have Wall Street things, that have uh, their investment portfolio. And they're looking at whether it's a good economy. Is it a bull economy? Is it a this economy? Hey, is my stocks going up? Am I making money? That's what they're talking about. So it's very important to realize that we're talking about the financialization of America. They're not talking about the regular economy. If they ever talked about the regular economy and actually went out and interviewed regular people, they would get a very, very different conversation than they do from these bourgeois fucks that are always talking about their investment portfolio. Okay, let's see. Is there any other questions, specific questions in here that I missed? Uh, oh, humorous. Okay, Steve, do you have any thoughts of who people can get behind in 2024? I'm seriously tired of doubt. I don't really give a shit about electoral politics. That's the straight up answer. You vote for whoever you want to. I in no way, shape or form believe in that system anymore. Um, I, you got to get through the primaries, okay? And the primaries are fake. They have already fought successfully in court, I've said it so many times, um, fought successfully in court that they have, the Democrats have absolutely zero responsibility to run a primary, much less be transparent, much less nominate the winner. They could, the winner could be there and the superdelegates could say, yeah, but we don't want them. We don't have to abide the election. We don't have to do any of that. They literally fought in court on the record that they don't have to do that. So stop bringing me the fucking primaries. Marion Williamson, RFK, fuck. If you guys are still fucking sipping mother's milk, if you're still nanny state, just completely incapable of seeing this, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. If you still normie it at that level that you haven't recognized, Democratic Party literally, literally, literally fought tooth and nail in court so that they could be a private corporation that has no responsibility whatsoever. Look it up for Christ's sake. I'm not making it up. I'm done playing that game. And, you know, I look over there at Biden. And I say, wow, when did we suddenly become this great warring nation again? I hated Trump. Couldn't stand him. But we didn't deal with this kind of shit, man. All of a sudden, we've got Russia in our crosshairs, China in our crosshairs. Half the world is splitting apart. But yeah, I don't think anybody voted for that. But you look over there at everybody's profile pictures, and damn it, if they don't have yellow and blue flags because they are just showing how patriotic they are. Anyway, vote for whoever you want to, man. I got no, I got no dog in that fight. I don't think it's a legitimate institution anymore. I mean, I still vote, but I don't think it does any good whatsoever. I think our real value to each other is organizing outside, outside of the system, teaching one another outside of the system, literally preparing, and 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 just rendering this irrelevant because ultimately. Most, I swear to God, I talk to people that are knee deep in these political things. They're in there. They're, they're sitting down at the, the meetings. They're going to all the meetings. They're hanging out with all the normies, listening to them, solving very serious problems in their communities. And they're not achieving shit. But they feel like they are. They're going through the motions. They're door knocking like a motherfucker, like their life depends on it. Hi, have you heard about candidate A? And candidate A doesn't know anything about economics. Candidate A is going to fall in line with party A. Candidate A is going to do everything wrong. 
I'm not telling you not to vote. I'm telling you, I don't think it's an effective strategy for bringing about change. So who am I voting for? I don't know. I haven't seen anything to make me want to vote right now. Biden's terrible. Marianne Williamson, by the time the primaries are over, she'll already be endorsing Biden. RFK is an anti-vaxxer Bitcoin fool out there running around yapping about how the CBDCs and Fed now is going to take away their Bitcoin. This is the kind of moronic shit you want me to get behind and fucking go door knock for and champion at the highest order. Not going to happen, man. Not going to happen. I think we need to teach each other. You guys, once you learn, you go to whatever groups you're in and you fucking talk to them and teach them and hope to God that we make voting matter again. Because right now, Biden could have easily stacked the court. He didn't. He allowed Roe v. Wade to slip away. It happened. Biden could have eliminated all student debt. Instead, he dinked and dunked in a way that allowed the Republicans to fight back. Fool. Well, he wasn't a fool because that was always the plan. Okay? He purposely didn't do what he could have done. The debt collective was out there, gave him all the talking points. Boom, 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 boom. Everything he needed to do, he didn't do it. Before they even took office, Biden had already said, I won't do Medicare for all. I won't do a Green New Deal. Nancy Pelosi, a green dream, whatever. I don't buy it, folks. They're trash. They're trash human beings. They're, they're wastes of life. Nancy Pelosi fucking became mama bear after one minute of uh, AOC standing on her desk with the goddamn sunrise uh, movement. If you can find a way to do the mental gymnastics to make that matter, knock yourself out. But it isn't going to be me. Okay, so let, let, here's a good question. I'm going to answer it right now. Steve, do you think if the dollar is replaced by another currency as the world reserve currency, would that be a net positive or a net negative? Forgive my ignorance. So if that's No, it's not a silly question. It's a question everybody's asking constantly. And here's the deal. First of all, who is the one that comes up with the quote-unquote reserve currency? Okay, the IMF. The IMF is controlled by the United States of America. It's got veto power. It's, it's the big dog on the IMF, okay? The world reserve currency is the IMF's version. Who gives a flying fuck? Now, I'll tell you this. The U.S. has used its hegemony around the world for sanctions, for using its SWIFT system as a weapon. If I were a country not named the U.S., I would be doing everything I could to get away from the United States clutches. Okay, I would be, right? The IMF goes to developing countries in the global south. Remember, U.S. has veto power. It's the big dog on the, on the thing, right? Fact of the matter is, is that China is going to these global south countries and being a sweetheart to them. Russia actually went and did debt um, jubilees with some of these folks. Wesley here in the chat could very, very easily tell you that China could take its U.S. dollar holdings if it wanted to, pay off many of the global south's debt, U.S. debt, and literally bring them over and, and that would be a real, honest-to-God, geopolitical coup d'etat. They would crush it. Now, there's no guarantee the U.S. would allow it to happen. I mean, U.S. would find some way to defend itself because, remember, just like the coercion on the tax is important, these structural adjustments through the IMF serve as a de facto tax because they, when you look at what the structural adjustments the IMF imposes are, what do they say? Got to protect. You know, you're not allowed to protect your own markets. You have to reduce public spending, and you have to basically become market-friendly. That is the entire thing. It's the neoliberal freaking uh, vanguard that busts through the door and says, we're here to help, only to enslave those countries with U.S. debt. Okay, And it's usually in U.S. dollars and, and so forth. So let's just be crystal clear here. The world reserve currency is really, really more a function of where people do business. 
if the United States is the primary mover and shaker, then people need U.S. dollar reserves to facilitate transactions. If they use substitution and they start doing business with other countries, their need for U.S. dollars will be less. It's a simple thing. It's not hard to understand. Is it good? Is it bad? It doesn't really matter. The U.S. for many, 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 many generations here has been a net importer, not many generations, but several generations, has been a net importer and has used dollar hegemony to basically become the greatest shopper of them all. It basically puts out all its bait around the world. Those folks end up sucking into it. And then the U.S. buys their goods and services from them for cheap. Okay. Now, what's going to happen? If the U.S. loses trade partners, well, the U.S. is probably going to have to bring back some production. And it may end going to happen overnight. So it could happen instantly. But the U.S. is going to have to do its own creation of things. It's going to change fundamentally who we do business with. It's going to change fundamentally how much we do business. Are we going to suddenly become a net exporter overnight? Probably not. But we may, we may end up flipping the script. We may go away from having to be a net importer. And we may end up becoming a net exporter. We may just be even. Who knows? In the end, the U.S. is going to be just fine. The issue isn't whether, I mean, how many trinkets and trash from China do we need? I mean, the whole big thing was the high-tech stuff. And you saw Biden take a move. I, I, interestingly, most people didn't realize it, but he brought that chips thing to try and build chips in the United States. Okay. So, yes, exactly. Basically, it means bring back home all the pollution and industrial waste. Yes. And that's going to put the onus on us to be better climate citizens as well, right? Because honestly, there are renewable ways to do things. But we have been so easy to shove the stuff off to the rest of the world for them to handle that that we just have forgotten what it's like. And now all of a sudden we're going to have to. Yes. All right. So let's see. There was a couple other questions in here. I just want to make sure. Um, uh, dun, dun. That wasn't weird, was it? I got jumped off there. Anyway, suffice it to say that think of it like a, a seesaw, right? Like a, a balance, a scale, right? As long as the U.S. was a good global citizen or whatever, and it was a benevolent empire, which it never was, but let's just assume it was a benevolent empire. It could be a net importer and it could milk off of everybody else's fat. However, as things start evening out, it's not going to be as easy. So that's going to bring prices up. That's going to fundamentally change the type of work we have going on in this country. I mean, you used to do lots and lots and lots of, um, you know, industrial work, a lot of manufacturing. A lot of that jobs were sent Mexico, China, wherever. Depending upon how the relationships with those other nations go, they have to pull some of that back. I mean, we don't choose. It's the gov businesses that choose ultimately, right? But we may, in the way, how could the government bring that back? How could the government make that work for them? Let's talk about that for a second. If the government incentivizes them with tax breaks, if the government incentivizes them with, you know, other things like, hey, we'll, we'll retrofit your smokestacks paid for with the Green New Deal or whatever. I don't know, right? Whatever. That would help you know, grease the skids to bring some of that stuff back. I personally would like to see the government nationalize a lot of stuff and make this talk irrelevant, okay? Just go ahead and let the non-needs, non-necessities be part of this capitalist system and let us focus on degrowth. Let us focus on ensuring that 
our carbon footprint is right-sized and that we help the global South achieve wholeness because we have extracted all their wealth. We have destabilized their communities. We've done so much. Why wouldn't they want to get the fuck away from the U.S. dollar? Of course they do. But just remember, though, it's not like these countries use the U.S. dollar. They use it for maybe petroleum purchases and other uh, imports when they have to, like countries I talked about yesterday, countries that peg their national currency to the U.S. dollar need to have U.S. reserves, and so they need to have U.S. dollar uh, holdings. But this this concept of de-dollarization is really just a matter of these other countries are creating trading blocks and they're facilitating it with the, this brick structure. And China has been instrumental in building out ports uh, through its One Belt and One Road initiative. So is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? It's a thing. These countries are saying, we don't want to have you cut off our access to your system, your SWIFT system. We're going to create an alternative system so we don't have to deal with you. If you And the thing is, I doubt they're going to say you can't participate USA. I think what they're going to do is just going to say, you aren't in control, USA. We are. And if you want to be a part of this thing, USA, you're going to need to do X, Y, Z. So they're going to tell us a little bit. It's not going to be a one-way conversation anymore where the U.S. is just talking down to all the little people. It's going to have to be a peer-to-peer. We're going to have to deal with people in a different way. And so my fear is because we are such a disgusting, jackbooted, fascist country that if we can't get our way through the first pass we'll just go to war and we'll take it by force because the 800 pound gorilla in the room is we've got the biggest military 50 million times over again they can sit there and talk about bases but what happens if the u.s decides it doesn't want to give up a base is the u.s going to go to war so i just to me i think it's much ado about nothing it's just going to change right i mean you say you don't want empire that's a good thing should be anti-imperialist don't want wars for empire either all of a sudden the u.s is going to have to become a better global citizen and do business with each other they're going to have to do things differently right and so there's a whole group of people that do business with the u.s but you watch and you can see little teeny splinters factioning, okay? You see French uh, President Macron basically going to China and saying, hey, you see others, you know, working tooth and nail to try and pull away. So, I don't know. To me, it is what it is. Jobs are going to come home. There's going to be a renew, uh, renewed push for manufacturing. And... uh I don't know. I don't think it's a horrible thing. The only thing that could be horrible is if we keep allowing them to deregulate shit like they're doing now, you see with Norfolk Southern and others. And all of a sudden we're polluted and we're killed because all that pollution's back home and we've deregulated the living hell out of everything. Okay. This is the libertarian way. This is why I'm so disgusted by the left, the fake left that is merging with the libertarians that don't realize libertarians ain't our homies. They're not fighting for the same cause in any way, shape, or form. And any kind of anti-war that they might have is completely not the same as the anti-war that the left would have. Okay, These guys, it's like they just don't like the state. They just don't like government, period. It has nothing to do, like, are they really anti-drug war? Ron Paul even said when he was talking about it. It's not really so much that he's anti-drug war. He just doesn't feel the, the government should have any purpose involving itself in matters such as this that's it it's not a matter of whether they think it's good or bad it's that they think they have this fundamental belief that the government shouldn't be involved period and they don't understand that the government is the currency issuer so they got a problem with economics too every fucking step along the way that's it that's it so anyway i want to read this uh point by our friend wesley I think it's an important one. He says, I don't think U.S. empire is receding. And as this flow goes out, new manufacturing centers are created in the supply chain. I'm not sure a lot of manufacturing is coming here. It may not. It may not. We have no idea. All I can say is that 
if you, you know, there'll be replacements, there'll be new trade agreements, there'll be new partners, there'll be new friends. How that looks, I don't know. I'm not in the inner rooms. I'm not in those smoky rooms negotiating. I'm not the guy that's on the board that's making decisions for Apple to bring my production out of China because Apple put all of its work in China, put all of its production in China. And guess what? What happened? China demanded what? What did China demand? China demanded technology transfers. You want to do business in China? you got to give us your IP. A lot of these companies don't like that, but guess what? That's the price for cheap labor. Well, guess what? China didn't just fucking sit back and let everybody remain poor. China went ahead and improved the quality of life for everyone. So now these countries or these companies are stuck and China's ascending. Their people are ascending. Their lives are better. Okay. And for all the people that don't like G and whatever else, you know what? Every leader is fucked. Okay. Every leader has got problems, but at least in China, you see them literally placing the needs of the people first and foremost. Are there rich people in China? Yes. Is capitalism sweeping China? Yes. Is U.S. Uh, training of bankers happening? Yes. Is China still a different animal? Yes. So anyway, anybody tells you they know exactly what's going to happen is a fucking liar. They're a liar. There's no one that knows, right? It's a brand new world. We're going to see what happens. But I can tell you right now, whether the dollar is the world reserve currency. And again, the fucking world reserve currency is largely dictated by, it's not something they just choose, right? What happens is, is it's based on how much is required, how much is needed to facilitate transactions. Reserves are a means of clearing transactions between institutions, okay? So how much the U.S. needs to be the world reserve currency. It's not even important. The U.S. will never not be a world reserve currency. It's a huge basket of currencies. So, Wesley, I'm not entirely sure what that statement is, the network effect as well. But, you know, if you could come up with a way of saying that quickly so I can read it, I'd be happy to do it. Just go back through here one more time. See if there's any. No, I think I think that's pretty much it. I, I'm I'm pretty much done at this point. Oh, let's see here. Automaton, the threat here. I'm going to put this up. The threat is that if you do anything to these companies, they will take their ball and leave the country. Okay, well, have fun time when we let other companies have free access to your intellectual property. Yes, country here. Yes, here we go. Countries will use USD just because others do, creating self-reinforced cycles of hegemony. Uh, anyway, the network effect of money, and that is that is the God's honest truth because that money is seeped through the countries whether or not the governments want to change it or not. It's so fun. But you know what, though? I understand. I understand the, uh, the desire for people to make this much more of a James Bond novel than it is. It makes me sad to see so many people given to James Bond novels, Blofeld on the loose. But, you know, that's what people do. They, they lead boring lives. They need to be titillated with James Bond. And so these dollars could lose its reserve. This sort of feels like, yeah, maybe you should stop saying stuff like that. Maybe you should stop talked about like that because it's it's not the thing you think it is right we do have to go so i'm sorry that i haven't been able to finish more but i just want y'all to know i'm really enjoying uh doing some of the scripting this was just a kind of a, a short one today um it took the full hour so that i got to get my ass out of here and get back to work Thank you guys for joining me on an off day, a day that I had no intention whatsoever of doing a live stream. I will do one tomorrow too. In fact, I'm going to have Mike Hall join me and we're going to take down Richard uh, Murphy's paper one by one. So check it out tomorrow noon. I'm going to be bringing Mike Hall from the UK, former RP uh, volunteer, in to help me tear down the uh, tropes of Richard Murphy. Without further ado, I bid you adieu. So long, so long.
you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support our efforts, please take a moment to subscribe and check out our other work on the Real Progress in Action YouTube channel and visit our sister organization's website at realprogressives.org. Thank you.